Hello and welcome to the Good Practice Podcast from Emerald Works. And the Emotional Work Podcast as well. Hello everybody! Hey! <laughs> so this week we're doing something a little bit different. We're combining our podcasts into one super show and releasing it on both podcast feeds at the same time. I'm Phil Wilcox. And I'm Nicola Boyle. And in this episode we'll be discussing the concepts of grit and growth mindsets. Here with us this week are three of my lovely colleagues from Emerald Works, fellow Good Practice podcast host Ross Gardner. Hello, Ross. Hey! <laughs> Regular podcast contributor Owen Ferguson. Hello, Owen. Hello. Boo! And yeah. <laughs> so predictable. <laughs> <laughs> and last, but certainly not least, Gemma Towersy. Hi, Gemma. Hello. Hiya. Hey! <laughs> hey! So let's get started. What is grit? Can someone explain that for me, please? Uh, okay, so uh, grits, according to Angela Duckworth, is a formula of passion plus perseverance. So you take uh, passion or um, a deep interest or um, a real kind of, yeah, a passion for something. You combine that with perseverance and those two things combined together then make for um, grit. And uh, Angela Duckworth has a, a grit scale and there is a grit test that you can do, two different varieties of. There's an O1 and an S1, I believe. The S1 is the slightly shorter version. But yeah, you combine those two things together. Passion plus perseverance, and then you get grit, and people can be more or less gritty, and the your and grit is also something that you can learn. Would be my synopsis. And Phil, would that um, is the grit associated with the subject or topic or or um, thing that you are passionate about as well, or is it just in general? Uh, so the interest comes from the passion bit. So it's not the grit, it's not the equals bit at the end, it's not the sum of the equation, it's the the interest comes from the passion part of it rather than from the grit at the end. So you could be more gritty for one thing than and less gritty for another thing, depending on what the thing is. Gemma, would you would that go along with you? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. In certain areas of life, people can be more or less gritty. So it's not like if you're from an external point of view thinking, um, is a gritty person going to succeed at everything? Probably not, because there are some things they just won't care about. And so because that passion's missing, it's it's not going to be something that they're going to bother persevering at. Yes. With, with, a, <laughs> with, a, with, a, with like a wrinkling with of my nose. Some caveat. Do you want to caveat that? Not yet. Let's, we'll do the caveat later, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> so many. <laughs> okay, so thank you for that. So what is growth mindset? So I think I think the big Ferg should pick this one up because he's talked about it before. Oh, I I, I, I haven't prepared. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, growth mindset. Um, uh, how shall I distill it? Um, uh, it? It's the uh, it's the it's the belief um, that uh, effort uh, matters more than innate uh, ability. Uh, yes, uh, but also that you're like. Um your belief that that effort is going to make a difference to whatever it is that you're mm. doing, that you can learn, change and grow. I mean, it's in a way, it sounds incredibly obvious, like people who think that they can learn, change and grow and then put the effort in are more likely to do so than people who think that that effort is not going to have any impact whatsoever. But it's kind of obvious in the same way that grit's obvious. Like if you care about something and you keep doing it, you'll get better. And then the difficulty, I think, comes in the implementation of these two things so before we get into the problems with them um how gritty do you think you are and what kind of mindset do you think you have would you say that you have a growth mindset or 
more inclined to a fixed mindset? So I think it de- it depends, and this is where I can drop the context bomb. You know, quite early in the in the podcast, I can drop context into it. So I think it depends. So um, <clears throat> I, I often say that I am generally useless when it comes to anything to do with any kind of DIY at home. So putting up a shelf, every shelf I've erected in my time has been wonky. Um, it have, I have never yet, I'm yet to put up a straight shelf. Um, You're in good company, Phil. Yeah. Well, you know, the shelves behind you look all right. Um, yeah, I know. My brother came and fixed them. <laughs> all right. <laughs> when I moved in, one of them fell off in the middle of the night. <laughs> so, th- so there are certain attributes where I, I think I'm useless and I can't be bothered to get better at it. So I think that's the other part of it. Could I could I get better at DIY? Probably. Can I be bothered to get better at DIY? No, I'd rather pay someone to come and do it. So you have a growth mindset, but not but not the passion to have the grit to persevere. To yeah, learn. I guess in a way, yeah. Or change. Yeah. I was um, so Phil, you've kind of combined these two things there. I think I I've thought of them slightly separately for this question. So uh, and I, but but I think with um, with both concepts, as you start to get into it, you think, oh, yes, 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 I'm very, very gritty indeed and growth mindset. Well, of course, of course I have. Uh, but as you, you kind of dig into it a bit more, I found that uh, I found a bit myself a bit disappointed in my own actions in the past. So uh, I would consider myself gritty because I've sort of done well academically, put a lot of effort into work, run marathons and things have run marathons but i've tended to flit from one thing to another i haven't particularly persevered i'll do something for like a year or something and then i'll lose interest and then from from the growth mindset point of view there's almost a a trick in it because i've i've just uh completed my master's which i've talked about on the podcast a few times just once or twice it's once or twice (laughs) yes yes well i just finished it (laughs) update for the loyal listeners um and and i as i thought about it i was thinking oh I've got a growth mindset. I worked really hard at that master's. Um, but actually, uh, I, I think I was chasing A's the, f- the whole time. And actually, the, the chase for the A was a validation because and deep down, I don't actually have a growth mindset. I don't think that the effort is what I should be uh, taking the credit for. I, it's the, uh, I want validation that I am a smart person. And actually, I have mm-hmm. a fixed mindset there. So it's, it's not quite as simple as just saying, oh, yes, I have a growth mindset. I can learn. No, I can learn, but I really want validation. So I have a fixed mindset. That was a really rambly answer. <laughs> All these things are, are they are context dependent. You know, so there's some areas where I would say I demonstrate grittiness and then other areas where the passion is not there. I, you know, I think we'll probably come on to this. I, I, I struggle with the difference or the meaningfulness of the difference between grit and conscientiousness. Um, so there's an element of conscientiousness, which is, look, uh, even if you're not passionate about something, you'll still put in the work because it's important to do it, you know, if it is indeed important to do it. So there is, it is passionless, but you, you know, conscientiousness matters an awful lot. Um, and in terms of the growth mindset, I think I am uh, somewhere in between uh, with regards to that. So like Phil, there are some things where I think... I'm just starting at a lower level. <laughs> I try, you know, the DIY, for example, I could work as hard as I wanted on the DIY and I'm only going to get to a certain point. Um, you know, I, I am so far behind, whereas there are other people who are just take to that kind of thing quite naturally. Um, you know, and I, you know, there are a whole range of things where, where that is, 
that is true for me. And then there are things where I feel that I've got more natural aptitude. Um, and I still think that I need to put the effort in to become any good at them. But uh, at the very least, I'm starting off uh, at a reasonable point. So, yeah, I, I get, you know, and, and that impacts how much effort you're willing to put into something as well. I wonder if we're all circling the uh, the thing that no one's saying yet is do these two things even exist at all? <laughs> <laughs> well, so because um, Angela Duckworth, the the person who came up with grits, was a, a student. Well, a student or a colleague? I'm not sure actually. Um, she was she worked with Carol Dweck. I think they were colleagues. So Carol Dweck, who's the 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 key proponent behind growth mindset, um, Angela Duckworth worked with her and then took this idea of growth mindset and then expanded it on expanded on it a little bit to take it into um, into grit. One of the things I forgot actually from my definition that I gave earlier on was about the importance. Of, so Duckworth talks about the importance of long term goals. So it's not grit in terms of like um, being passionate about cooking a really good dinner and you know, being really gritty even though you've just burnt the onions, being really gritty and still making the the, the really nice curry anyway. it's about that passion for whatever that long-term goal is so for you Ross that might have been completing your master's degree and getting the recognition that yes you are indeed smart Um, (laughs) or you know that that could be different things for for other people but it's that that long-term goal bit so there's so certainly interlinked because the you know the idea being that if you have a growth mindset you um you can be better at whatever that is and that might help with your grittiness well, we, we have someone here who has focused on long-term goals over a very extended period, which is Gemma, who uh, has done loads of running and ultra marathons and such things. So I'm curious in your response to the grit and growth mindset question, Gemma. Mm, yeah, I think that's probably the one and only area of life that <laughs> that, 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 that I do have grit. And, and, <laughs> and that, I think with both concepts, um, you need to have like a kind of wrap around like it, the context that you're working in as well so like I don't think I could be as gritty if I didn't have like the physiotherapist to help me the running coach to kind of move me along to kind of keep keep that interest going I think it's all contextual and I think like certainly with mindset and work mindset I've definitely noticed a switch over time but is that switch because my context changed so I think I've always had a fixed mindset at work you know I'm no good at this certain thing at work I'll never be any any good but now I'm in the context um, at Emerald Works and my team is open to you know answering questions and they don't judge um, so I feel very supported I then actually now can actually have that growth mindset and I can ask questions so I just think like with both you kind of need the right context the right you know the kind of resources around you so I think they're quite difficult um, to actually put into like kind of implement I think Carol Dweck would be absolutely thrilled with that answer Uh, and we can maybe get onto that in in a little while Uh, Nicola do you want to answer that question as well I just want to say um, from what Gemma was saying there um, the one thing that I thought when I was reading Grit especially was just that it was coming from a place of privilege um, and like you say, the the importance of context, that was the thing that I just kept coming back to when I was reading it. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I'm, intri- I'm, 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 I'm intrigued I, as well. I'm intrigued by yeah. that. <laughs> I suppose with Angela Duckworth, so the example of her, um, I did really enjoy the book, um, I have to say that, but she's, she, she is, and she acknowledges this herself, that she is a privileged person in terms of the education she's received, um, you know, being able to go to these kind of world-class universities for some people that 
position that it's just not available to them um so yeah I just I just kept thinking that when I was reading it and just that she is clearly from a privileged position she's from a living family and unfortunately not everyone is in that position even if you have grit and have that growth mindset if you don't have the resources or the support or the right you're not in the right kind of um, environment then you can be as gritty as you like but you're just you're going to be like stopped short Mm -hmm. by you know there's going to be a limiting factor somewhere well, so that was, that's one of the big challenges that's levied at, at Duckworth's work is that, especially if you look at, if you read, if you were to read Grit then as, a, as an idea, so Grit is full of case studies, whether it be, you know, sporting case studies, um, uh, uh, school case studies, a couple of organizational case studies. West Point. What she's doing, West Point, thank you. Um, what she's doing is, is interviewing people that have been, that, you know, that are at top of their game or highly successful or whatever kind of... Um, metaphor you want to put around she it. also includes herself um, in that list she does yes um, <laughs> yeah. and and one Lots of the of one of the challenges therefore is are there other people that are equally gritty but haven't had the the physio or the support or the the you know that haven't had those opportunities to do it you know so jk rowling <coughs> is she rowling rolling i can never remember which um what the correct pronunciation is um you know is, is a often proposes a someone who's gritty because the amount of knockbacks that she had on the harry potter manuscripts but yet there are other authors out there who will write lots of work and it will keep getting kicked back and they never get published that doesn't mean they're not gritty mm-hmm. it just means they haven't been published and therefore aren't successful so is grit linked with success yes and maybe no because it, it can depend if you know if, if you're if the bank of people you're basing your findings on are those that are successful then guess what yes gritty people are successful I hadn't um, considered the privileged side of it until Nicola talked about it, but um, I I think it's interesting because there's those who persevere at things they're passionate about because they have lots of option, and there's those that persevere because they have no option to do otherwise. Uh, I don't really have anything more to say about it than that particularly, but um, it's an interesting perspective I hadn't considered. Yeah, I think that, I think the main challenge with these two concepts, um, they're both. Um, they both come from um, really solid academics. Um, the research is of high quality, but sorry for the listeners. Phil pulled a face at the uh, at high quality. <laughs> he did pull a face. <laughs> um, but they are uh, so they've got uh, two attributes which make them uh, uh, problematic. One is that they are very attractive ideas uh, when looked at in a certain light. So there is a natural inclination to want to believe them. And also they are um, relatively straightforward to explain uh, compared to other uh, elements of sort of um, uh, cognitive mm. psychology. Well, yeah, admittedly we have struggled, but then you know, <laughs> we have then struggled. Didn't do any, didn't do any. But but but, or, or they're easy to simplify. Should I say? Yeah, um, that's yeah, probably I think that's, that's more. That's true. probably yeah. um, um, more accurate. Um, but they've um, they 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 are also suffering from there's problems in replicating the original results. The original results um, showed really tantalising prospect of quite dramatic changes from relatively small interventions. Uh, and that has not been borne out in follow-up research or indeed when the actual authors themselves have tried to uh, create interventions in the real world and actually make an impact. So what we're left with are these really attractive ideas 
um, that uh, that showed an awful lot of promise, but in practice make very little difference to actual outcomes uh, when they've uh, when people have created interventions based around them. And so the real question is: these things are hugely popular, but should we would we be better off? At, focusing our attention on slightly more boring, uh, but probably more effective uh, interventions and ideas. Could I add to that slightly? And then I think maybe it'd be interesting for Phil to come in because the, I think the other thing that these two ideas have in common is is the, the way that they were popularised. So uh, Carol Dweck in 2006 and then Angela Duckworth in 2016 um, and I think Duckworth le- learned a lesson from Dweck here is that they took the... Um, a relatively niche thing that they were studying and then turned it into like a panacea in particular with growth mindset that could be very easily applied by people who haven't actually read the original work at all and expect massive things and Dweck doesn't talk about the experiments that she did in terms of it had a small effect size or it was a small sample or here's some of the things you should consider she in her book she talks about it as if it's transformative every single time whereas by the time that Duckworth came to write Grit in 2016 she was far more um, willing to acknowledge the limits of her research and um, give a bit more um, discussion to the kind of effects that you might expect to see um, the other thing that she did is talk about where there was no evidence for the claims that she was making. So she would say things like, um, I would expect such and such to happen in this context, but I haven't actually researched this and it's just what I think. So there's more work needs to be done here. And I think that's that's an important component that Dweck was missing in her book anyway. So uh, I like giving things names. So I agree that um, the face validity for grit and growth mindset is really high. You know, so on the face of it, it makes real sense. You know, it's easy to get your head around. It's, it, it can be easily simplified and it, and it sounds like a good thing. You know, even the famed David D'Souza, and I'm going to, I'm naming him as famed now, um, in a, in a blog that he put out, I think it was towards the end of February, you know, so just because the research doesn't replicate doesn't mean that it's a bad idea. It, you know, as, a, as an idea, it, it makes sense and it, and it sounds like a good thing because you'd want to believe that you can succeed at something rather than think I'm crap at it and I always will be because it's a, it's a, it's a better way to, to be or to think, you know, I'm not gritty, but I can be more gritty if I, you know, if, if I find my, passion for this long-term goal in whatever way that is the challenge is the construct validity so the way that the so for example if you look at grit one of the criticisms that grit gets is its construct validity is poor so the the actual and what i mean by that is the way that the grit scale so the questions that the grit scale asks it it gets challenged in the way the questions are formed and it gets challenged in the way of are they actually testing the same thing and then we link back to Owen's challenge from earlier on actually are there better tests out there that test similar things which is conscientiousness as an example or emotional stability which is another one of the big five characteristics so the yeah one of the big challenges is are, are they they make sense and they're easy to get your head around and they sound good does the research necessarily support their use especially in the workplace and that's one of my biggest challenges with both uh, constructs both grit and growth mindset is what does the evidence in the research tell us about application in the workplace and that for me is much more sketchy how, how far do you think the the two researchers though are targeting the workplace over schools because it seems like an, an idea that's primarily focused at um uh children uh, children's education and that is then kind of being spun out to the workplace as and let's go back to the popularization of it uh, another audience that might buy the book 
So uh, I th- my my personal view is I think Carol Dweck wrote it for education. She wrote it for, um, and in particular, Western cultural educational settings. Um, and then and then industry have taken it and popularized it in other contexts. And I, and I think that's a really risky strategy to, to take. Um, Duckworth, um, her initially, her, you know, the, initially the focus of her ideas were, was in education. Um, and then in her book, as you say, as well, as we talked about earlier on, she, she has taken it to other contexts. So I think my read is that for her, she seems to be more interested in broadening out the research into other areas. Um, whereas I don't think Carol Dweck had that interest in there because she, she, I don't think she's done any research in an, in a workplace setting at all. Other people have taken her idea and done it, but I don't think she's done any. It's another problem with, um, it's another problem with mindset, the book and, and business books in particular is that, uh, one of the things that Dweck does is a, applies her theory to things that have already happened to explain what happened. So she will look at different CEOs and say, so-and-so <laughs> had a fixed mindset and so-and-so had a growth mindset and that's how we can pick it. And uh, you could guess the CEOs without even having read the book, which ones sh- she's picked. And that is true of a lot of business books. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I'm, uh, I think those are being used to describe uh, the, the idea rather than use as a, a justification, but you know the, the the line does get really quite murky. And, and as Phil says, I think one of the the key things for people working in L and D uh, and HR and OD to consider about these concepts before um, passing them on is the the paucity of research in a workplace setting. Um, you know, uh, even I mean, uh, uh, Dweck in, in particular, as Phil mentioned, but. but all of her follow-up research, including um, some where they've been actually testing interventions, is all in an educational context. Um, so, but you know, it's um, the idea that hard work is important in order to achieve success should be, you know, taken at face value. Yeah, that's absolutely, you know, I, I think that that is the obvious idea um i think the 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 less obvious more controversial ideas uh, that we should be looking at and saying is is there anything for us to do with these things is the idea that um that your belief about how malleable your personal um uh, sort of abilities are uh, has an impact over and above just impacting on the amount of hard work that you put into something um i i i, I really struggle when I'm looking at these things to, to, to see anything other than I think they're really interesting ideas. I think the research should be, um, I think there should be more research in, uh, in those areas. Um, but in terms of actually being able to do stuff with them, to design interventions, attention should probably be focused elsewhere. So I think as far as the, um, the replication crisis goes, this is that uh, I think today no one has been able to replicate what Carl Dweck claims. Um, although she and Duckworth did collaborate on a study last year that did have an effect now slightly problematic because they were the ones that were doing the replication and not someone else um, but they ad- attempted to address some of the concerns and I think that they, the way that they did it ha- does have an impact for L&D and OD um, because I think what was happening with a lot of schools particularly in the US was you would start the um, academic year and there'd be a PowerPoint presentation there's fixed and there's growth mindset and if you have a growth mindset you're going to exceed at school. So let's all have a growth mindset now. Very good. 
But then they didn't actually live that in the school. So the teachers would focus on high-performing students and ignore the low-performing students as if... Uh, so the teachers themselves had a, a fixed mindset about who could improve and who couldn't. And then also what were the kind of cultural norms within the school. So if you were to go and like try really hard at something, did your pals like support you in that? Or um, did they mock you or bully you for it? Would that open you uh, and make you vulnerable? So what um, Duckworth and Dweck did last year was that they designed an intervention that... Um, it was in schools across the US uh, it factored in school achievement level so a high performing school offers kind of little room to improve um, whereas a lower performing school uh, as long as it's got the resources to do so might show an improvement uh, student achievement so similarly if you focus on low performing students then again they have capacity to improve if you focus on high performers then that's going to be a much smaller effect anyway and then they looked at peer norms as well which was did the social context within the school encourage a belief in growth and um, and so what they found was that the, the treatment that they were doing did have an effect when the conditions uh, for it to have an effect were present. So if you take the research and just apply it anywhere, what they're saying is it is going to have difficulty. If you apply a relatively small intervention in a particular context, it can have an impact for a relatively low cost. And that impact was, I think they say it's roughly comparable to other things that you could do. So then the question is, this this idea that swept the world that if you have growth mindset then you can uh, achieve all sorts it's going to be transformational in fact turns out to be quite a small effect comparable to others within the correct circumstance and so the way that it's been marketed is more problematic than the idea itself yeah and i think it's the i mean what was interesting about that study was um it was a low-cost intervention you know it was a it was an online uh, module if i remember correctly that was yeah i think it was it took an hour or something for the students yeah. to do. so you know not very much impact whatsoever and and the impact that it had on lower performing students students in um, difficult social circumstances as well if i remember correctly um was was greater but still a relatively low um uh, impact i think sort of you know 0.3 on a on a four point a grade scale um i'll link to it in the show notes yeah, that would be yeah. um but again you know very much in an educational context and that was a really well designed but also um expensive uh study to complete we've seen nothing like that in a workplace context yeah, but the implication for the workplace, though, uh, I kind of lost this part of my argument as I bambled my way through it, uh, was how important the context was. Yes. It. So it's, you can't just, as L&D say, everyone should have a growth mindset now. Here's a PowerPoint presentation on how we all have a growth mindset if the, um, mm -hmm. the organization culture doesn't support it. So I was just going to ask if you think these two concepts are useful at all for L&D. But I think, Ross, you've just kind of summarized that nicely just by saying... <laughs> <laughs> no i'm joking <laughs> i didn't mean to have the final word there on these two things well done for the lifetime of research by the way but i've now passed judgment <laughs> but it's uh, i but it, it fits into those um we sh we should be incredibly cautious of new ideas that seem attractive and enticing but haven't yet gone through the the rigor uh, that 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 is the scientific process, you know. The, you know the uh, the replications, the applying to different contexts, um, the um, uh, the scrutiny uh, of you know of of the results that 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 forms part of the scientific progress. It's definitely 
keep abreast, keep, you know, maintain awareness, but whether you should be designing interventions specifically around them rather than drawing a broad conclusion that hard work's really useful. Um, that's the real question that L&D professionals should be asking themselves. So, Owen, you also suggested that there were better alternatives out there to grit and growth mindset. What are those? What would you suggest checking out? In terms of things that are useful to spend your time on? Yeah. So you said at the very beginning of the the conversation, you said um, that there's maybe better studies out there. So if you're interested in grit and growth mindset, what would you, what are those? What could you read um, more about? Tough question. Cards on the table, Owen. Yeah. Where's your Where's your pack of <laughs> secret success recipes? Well, <laughs> we, I, I think that there's two separate things here. Um, uh, what um, stuff can uh, L&D professionals usually be spending their time learning about to help inform their practice? Uh, that that uh, and we have we have interviewed people on this podcast, uh, you know, that kind of like summarise you know good research. Or Miriam Nielsen. Um, we've spoken to uh, Andy Lancaster. Who else have we spoken to, Ross? That would be uh, we've spoken to Phil yeah. Wilcox. Phil Wilcox for the emotion at <laughs> work. Um, <laughs> but but in terms of what would you be better off spending your time in terms of the interventions that you're designing? Well, uh, off the top of my head, and simply because of where we are just now, but helping people become um, supporting people to work effectively from home um, helping people to uh, connect uh, digitally you know those are you know those are practical things where you can provide support and help in the workplace I, I think you know uh, I would encourage LD professionals to think about how they might help people in their actual jobs rather than thinking about um, uh, more esoteric subjects like grit and growth mindset I, I reckon Phil's probably got some ideas around uh, how you might, what you might usually spend your attention on in terms of leadership and management development, for example. So um, I, I kind of, I, so I'll come back to that in a second because I, I also kind of disagree with you a little bit um, in terms of. So I, I want to encourage L and D practitioners to do, I guess, do a bit of what we're trying to do here, which is go and investigate something more. Be more discerning in what you do. Don't just listen to this podcast and think, oh, you know, Nicola and Gemma and Ross and Owen and Phil said it's not really all that useful, so therefore I'm never going to talk about it again. Go and go read it. Go find out. Go, you know, go do your own research and and you know, find out what's happening in your setting, in your context. Um, and I think what we have talked about is that, uh, and uh, most most recently in the, uh, when Ross was talking about the study that Duckworth and Dweck did recently, what they noticed was that it wasn't just about growth mindset. It was about other things that sit into that um, environment as well. So if you're putting together some, uh, uh, you know, learning and development program of some sort, should it include something to do with growth and fixed mindset? Maybe, because there might be something useful to explore in that, but that can't be it. That's not the panacea. There's other aspects that sit in there. And that's where you look at someone like Matthew Said. So he's written a couple of books. Um, the one in particular that I'm going to talk about now is Black Box Thinking where you know he he takes but well, i suppose actually in banks as well he takes this the idea of a growth mindset and applies purposeful or reflective practice to it to say that those that are that apply those that don't just practice something by doing it but do it in a deliberate and purposeful way with focused reflective practice that sits around it all of those things they end up being more successful or whatever that thing is they want to get better at 
okay, well, that's there's something useful in that. And we know from good learning theory that um, that reflective practice element, that being that critical reflective practice where you think about what you did well and what you could do differently and how you can improve and get better, there's some really strong replicable studies that sit behind that. Okay, so now we're saying, is growth mindset a good idea? Yeah, it sounds simple and you know, kind of it's, it's easy to get your head around and it sounds like a good thing. Will it work on its own? No, there's other things that need to sit around it. So what are those things? And then work on on putting those things together because I think so I I get people to think about grit and growth mindset constructs in the work that I do because I want them to pick them apart I want them to um to challenge them to go yes it makes sense but actually it's not as simple as that to quote Owen Ferguson um you know there's there's lots of other aspects (laughs) that, that we need to bring into it as well so yes you know reflective practice for me that's a the big big part of what it is that we're trying to do Yes, it's about hard work, as Owen said earlier on, and it's about something that you're interested in. You know, if you're not if you don't if you're not interested in something, you're not going to want to to learn or develop it. So if you can find stuff that people are interested in, and if they can be passionate about it, that can be a really good thing. But that that you know, hard work plus being passionate about it doesn't equal you necessarily being gritty. There's other stuff that sits around it. I would agree entirely with Phil that I think it's important that people. Um, Go off with a, a, a skeptical eye and look at um, uh, some of the ideas and the concepts that are that are bubbling around because some of them, more likely than not, will turn into something useful eventually. You know, keep keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening in, on the research side, um, but don't be too quick to adopt something that's really quite new you know you do want to find out well how well replicated is it you know have they done any studies in a in a workplace uh, context um what are the practical applications of this how do you you know how do you turn an idea into an actual intervention that might have some kind of impact um because there's it, that can sometimes be the tricky aspect and again it's one of the things that that people are struggling with around um, the growth mindset stuff in particular is how do we turn this into an intervention you know how do you adjust someone's you know view of their own innate ability versus the amount of hard work that's required we'll now move on to our regular feature what i learned this week where we each share something we've picked up on over the last seven days owen would you like to go first sure so i'm sure like lots of other listeners i've been doing an awful lot of video conferencing recently and one of the tools of choice uh, is is zoom and goodness me, have I learned an awful lot this week uh, about video conferencing security. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, first of all, it was uh, mildly humorous, the sort of uh, uh, the Zoom bombing. Uh, and then very quickly, um, after a period of intense scrutiny, uh, various other security concerns were raised about uh, Zoom and the recording of calls and where those got stored and some uh, really um, quite uh, terrifying <laughs> reports of uh, of uh, recordings being uh, freely available, found, downloaded. Um, there was a report in, I think it was the Washington Post... Uh, yeah, I think it was the Washington Post. I need to uh, find the link we'll to it. pop it in the show notes, whatever it was. We'll pop it in the show notes. <laughs> but um, of uh, of counselling sessions, videos of counts, one-to-one counselling sessions being found and, uh, and freely available, lots of personal identifiable information. Um, so there are some simple things that you can do to make you uh, uh, more secure 
uh, when you are uh, using Zoom. We'll probably post a, a link to, to something that can give you an, an overview of actions that you can take to make sure that your Zoom meetings in particular are more secure. Um, but given that we're all doing an awful lot more of it, um, I, I think it... it be careful out there, folks. It's very easy uh, to get <laughs> lax uh, about security. And sometimes the tools that are easiest to use are the ones that have the biggest security concerns. Thank you for that, Owen. And Ross, how about you? What have you learned? Uh, so uh, this is going to be more of a reflection than something I've learned, I think. It's something interesting that happened over the weekend. So I was following the public ripping apart and flagellation of Dr. Catherine Calderwood, who was the chief medical officer of Scotland until last night, or by the time this comes out, two days ago. Um, so she just resigned. Having told everyone to stay at home to prevent the spread of coronavirus, she twice visited her second home and spent the night there. Uh, this sparked charges of hypocrisy and calls for her resignation or sacking or worse... And uh, I don't really want to talk about what she did or why she did it or the rights and wrongs of that. But I would like to recommend John Ronson's book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, which I oh, finished yeah. reading about a month ago. It is an excellent read. And uh, it's all about uh, the impact on your life of having the entire mass of Twitter turn on you overnight for something that you did probably without thinking. And uh, it should be mandatory reading for anyone with a Twitter account. <laughs> I do love that book as well. Some terrible stories. I've not oh. read that one actually. I need to. I need to add that to my. Uh, on your recommendation, then Ross, I need to add that to my uh, to my bookshelf. Don't don't send a racist tweet as a joke and then get on a plane <laughs> for twelve hours. That was the the main takeaway. Yeah. You might find okay. yourself a global superstar by the time you uh, arrive yeah. at your destination, fired and with a photographer waiting to take your picture. Oh. <laughs> Some of the stories make me go cold. I can cold yeah, sweat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, but that, that's exactly it, right? Oh, yeah. like we, we do not think about the way that that person feels about the, that was surely the worst day of Catherine Calderwood's life. Yeah. And we could be a bit more kind to each other yeah. when we make mistakes. Definitely. Here, here. Um, Phil, how about you? Um, so my, I've got two what I learned this week then. So one, um, uh, I was kind of been, uh, well, now I'm going to build on. I was going to say stolen by Owen, but I'm going to say I'm going to build on. Um, I'm going to build on Owen's one. So I've learned loads about Zoom um, in the last two weeks. Uh, so partly um, the security stuff, which Owen's already talked about. Um, but uh, I've also learned about all of the the really quite funky functionalities that Zoom has. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it does it well. So... In part, um, linked to Owen's security one, the waiting room feature, enabling the waiting room feature on Zoom, I think has just been, a, it, that's something I've learned in the last two weeks and it's been an absolute godsend. Um, because A, it helps me with security because I can make sure that only people that I want to get in, get in. But it also means when I'm running a little bit late and I'm not as prepared as I would like to be, I can keep the meeting closed and I can busy myself away getting stuff done behind the scenes so that when I open the meeting at 11 o'clock, when uh, Ross arrives, then it's all good and we're there and ready to go. And, and from a user perspective, everything looks seamless. Um, I can also put a nifty background on or I can blur my background. Um, I can do things like that to hide the shameful um, amount of rubbish that is on my dining room table that's directly behind my webcam. Um, <laughs> and there are other uh, other functionalities within Zoom that, um, that you can use. You know, breakout rooms, I think, work beautifully well. Uh, so yeah, I've had a, at the risk of doing a blatant Zoom promo. Uh, it's been a, a wonderful uh, learning opportunity to get familiar with Zoom over the last couple of weeks. 
Um, and the second one, and I'll send a link to the study um, over to Ross, was one of the one of the studies for, that the, my for the show notes, not just for, so our, I can for read our it. show notes. Yes. Our show notes, yeah. <laughs> our show notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, is uh, a study that was done um, in the UK uh, looking at growth mindset and looking at growth mindset in schools in particular. Um, it was called, the report is called Changing Mindsets and, and it was put together by a, uh, a body who are kind of tasked with improving educational attainment for underprivileged um, groups of people and they completed a study that included depending on which paper you read the actual paper itself quotes 5,000 students one of the write-ups online says 4,000 and something um, but they they recruited a number <laughs> of different dissemination. schools. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, they recruited a number of schools um, and uh, provided some training for a number of teachers in uh, in growth mindset. A one day training course then provided with additional follow up resources that made available to support lesson planning and so on. Of those schools, they did have a big dropout in terms of um, reporting. So part of the one of the methods that they used was for the teachers or the schools to send back summaries of how they'd used growth mindset approaches in their lesson planning over the course of the week. And they started off with 49 schools responding and they ended with nine by the time that the, the study came to an end. So you've got a real, a real drop off, which isn't doesn't necessarily mean that those 40 schools that stopped returning didn't weren't doing growth mindset they just or they weren't doing growth mindset lessons it might just mean that they um they weren't returning the data but what they found was uniformly it made no difference to key stage two sat results the schools that did growth mindset teaching in them it made no difference at all with uh, versus a, a randomized control group um in terms of uh, performance against a standardized test um, now, the authors of the study do uh, accept that growth mindset is quite popular and has been used um, often within educational settings. So it could be that the schools that were in the random control trial were using growth mindset approaches, even though um, they were part of a, a random control trialed group. Um, they were also testing four subsets then, which were test anxiety, self-regulation, self-efficacy, and intrinsic value. And only against one of those sub-areas would they find a very small correlation between growth mindset and an improvement in those things. So in a, in a, in a very thoroughly put together and, sta- and you know, uh, research study that was using a standardized test as a way of assessing impact, um, it still struggled with uh, saying that growth mindset has anything to do with it whatsoever, which it was, it was an absolutely fascinating report. And I'll put, a, I'll, I'll put a link to it in our show notes. Um, but yeah, it was really good. I think you subverted what I learned this week there to shoehorn in something you forgot to mention during the body of the show. <laughs> but it, it, it's <laughs> no. <an> interesting. How <laughs> rude! It was a, it, of all of the stuff that I've read, and I've read lots because I've got all of the tabs open and everything ready for today, that was the one that caught my attention the most. Thank you, Phil. Um, Gemma, what have you learned? Well, I have been reading um, a book written by Stephen Pinker uh, called The Sense of Style, and it's uh, focused on how to make your writing more stylish um, and, uh, I guess, bring a bit of... Um, energy to perhaps something that's yeah, kind of non-fiction or like reports that you're writing or um, yeah uh, so I've kind of been using it as a way to improve the the writing I do in, in my e-learning courses and uh, so mine's a really simple what I learned this week and um, it's a one one particular word um, and it, maybe everyone else knows it but um, I didn't and it's kibitz 
Has anyone else heard this one? Nope. No. 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 It means to. There's two definitions, but in the in the sense he was using it, it means to speak informally or to chat, kibitzing. Loved it. <laughs> I thought it was a great word. So that's that's uh, that's one of my other than everything that he says in the book. Um, that was one that I took away. That I really so does that mean we've been kibitzing through this podcast? Kibitzing. Yes. <laughs> Hmm. (laughs) I like that very much thank you Gemma and uh, Nicola what's yours Uh, mine's more of a reminder really or something that I did learn um, is that here in the UK um, leaving your home in the socially distancing period leaving your home to give blood is something that's classed as essential so um, it's just a kind of reminder if you can that you can still go and donate blood um, and it's just something that if we we can do we should still try to do so pop a link in the show notes as well just about giving blood and where you can uh, local to you as well and that what a wonderfully pro-social thing to end the combined emotion at work and good practice podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Right. That's all from us this week. If you'd like to get in touch with us about anything we've said on the show, you can tweet me at Nicola underscore Boyle EW. You can tweet Ross at Ross Garner EW. Did I say that really weird? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You can tweet Owen at Owen Ferguson and Gemma at Gemma Towsey and Phil uh, at Phil Wilcox and you can find out more about Emerald Works at emeraldworks.com and tweet us at emerald underscore works if you're also interested in the role that Emotion has in the workplace you can join the Emotion at Work hub which is community.emotionatwork.co.uk where you can find a curated list of podcasts uh, research papers blogs articles um and videos all around the the importance of emotion in the workplace it's free to join and there's lots of cool stuff that happens inside and if you've enjoyed the show please do leave us a review and make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts thanks for listening bye for now Happy birthday to you. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, dear Ross. Ross. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to, to you. you. Woo. <laughs>